Good evening, everybody. This is Bubba's Bodyguard Podcast. I am blessed to have Miss Michelle Hammond um, along here with me. Miss Hammond, how are you doing today? I am doing all right, Bubba. All right, great. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, for those that actually don't know, Miss Hammond, uh, she taught me in middle school. Um, so that that's pretty cool. And we, we've kept in contact since. And uh, last year, she allowed me the opportunity and privilege to come back and, and speak to some of the classmates that she has that she's teaching. Uh, so, you know, I'm just very grateful for that. Um, Miss Hammond, can you just kind of take us um, through, like, you know, where you're from and, and about, like, your upbringing and how did you get into teaching? Oh, yeah. Um, well, you know, every teacher comes from a different background. And uh, I grew up in a large family. So I guess it was one of my ways to kind of exert some control over my four brothers and sisters uh, where I would want to play, you know, how kids play house and stuff. Well, I wanted to play school. So they were my students and I would beg my teachers to give me some of the handouts and stuff, take home and set up a classroom and order them around. And, and uh, so I always knew that was something I wanted to do. It was a, it was a great way to, to kind of get a little control uh, from a kid in a big family. And uh, I just always knew that's what I wanted to do. Absolutely. And um, Ms. Hammond, what, what would be your encouragement or advice to anyone that wants to get into the teaching profession, uh, whether it be with youth or, or uh, you know, teen or whatever it may be? Like, what is your advice to them, that the, some things that they must do if they want to not only get into the field, but want to excel at it? Yeah, well, the first thing everyone needs to do is take ownership for their own education. I think that's really um, pivotal just to realize that we all have the power to educate ourselves. And we all have the power to use resources to do that, whether it's the public library or, you know, listening to a podcast like yours or talking to people. And then once you realize that, you realize the power of it. And, and I try to help my students realize, you know, education fuels dreams. You know, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing right now had you not had education. Mm-hmm. And, and it really is a foundation for everybody to have more choices in life to do things that, that are rewarding for them. So Absolutely. And what, what would you say uh, was the biggest thing uh, throughout your journey with teaching so far that you've learned the most? Obviously, you've, you've learned such, uh, you know, so many uh, overly and abundant amount of things. But what would you say sticks dearest to your mind that you've learned uh, above all others? You know, I think you have to teach the whole child. I don't think there's just, you know, a reading teacher or a math teacher or even a phys ed teacher or a music teacher. I think all of us are children teachers and we have to recognize the whole child, you know, their emotional needs, their physical needs for movement or whatever that is. And of course the intellectual needs that we address in the classroom. Um, There's so much more that we do now with regard to kids' psychological needs, a lot Mm -hmm. of mental health things that we're doing to help kids because a kid can't learn if they're scared, frightened, depressed, feeling like nobody cares, that kind of thing. So it's really holistic. Now we teach the whole child. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm glad that you guys are doing that because it's, you know, it's so uh, pivotal and important, you know, the mental health of, you know, the mental uh, and emotional health for for children. Um, That's why we invited you to come speak to our, you know, 80 kids. Yeah, (laughs) I I appreciate that. (laughs) Some of the kids were turned off to learning in the spring. Some of them pick up these middle school attitudes in the spring. And, you know, the cure for that, I saw that you were reaching out to the community mm-hmm. to get out yes. there to do some talks. I'm like, we need, we need Bubba. We need <laughs> Yes. And the kids talked about your, your visit for days. I mean, the kids, wow. how do I do that? How can I get into that field? 
did he have a gun? They all asked that. I was like, no, <laughs> I'm sure he didn't bring anything into the school. Right, <laughs> right. And, and you know, I, I definitely would love to come back sometime, you know, when things get better with the, with this epidemic and yeah. pandemic, you know, uh, it would be an honor. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, I'm glad they I were. Um, your um, podcast, one of your podcasts, I don't know which one yet, because I see yes. you have a speech pathologist. I don't know yet. But one yes, of yes. them is going to be my online assignment next week. So you'll be reaching. Oh, out. wow. So like I have 94 students this year. So your podcast will actually, they'll be looking for themes. They'll be looking for uh, all kinds of stuff in your podcast next week. So thanks for that. <laughs> yes, you're, you're welcome. And um, can you kind of, um, you know, when we first jumped on here, you touched on you're, you're doing some online teaching. Can you get into that a little bit? Like, um, you know, what are some of the challenges? What are, what, you know, what kind of uh, just take us through like more or less some of the duties and routine of the online teaching? Yeah, so um, it's the kind of thing, you know, they make that metaphor about building the airplane while you're flying it. <laughs> well, that's exactly what it is. Uh, we weren't prepared for this. Our county is not completely wired with internet. So the first thing we have to do is get internet hotspots out to families that don't have it and then make sure they have the technology that they can, answer, they can access the learning platforms that we're using, um, things like Zoom. Uh, we're using one specifically for students in Worcester County called Schoology which is very user-friendly for parents and students to be able to access the learning. Um, so that's taken a, a lot. And also just the first thing I wanted to do this week was just reach out to all the families and find out how they're doing and just connect with kids and let them kind of vent about mm -hmm. the losses they have right now. I mean, there are kids that aren't going to graduate on a right. There are kids that are missing their whole entire softball season. You know, there are kids that aren't seeing their family members. And, you know, it's, it, they needed that. So the first thing I thought about was, you know, once again, going back to the idea of the whole child is reach out to the families and the kids and find out, you know, what's bothering and are there any resources I can connect them to to help with that. Absolutely. And um, what would you say, uh, Ms. Hammond, uh, you know, obviously uh, last year, you you know, we, we connected and, and, you know, I came back and talked to the kids and, um, you know, what are some things that you would like to see, uh, you know, schools do that, that, uh, would, would, you know, like you touched on, give these kids some extra ambition, the, the extra motivation in life. What are some uh, things that you would like to see implemented? Um, I would love to get more speakers from the community, like yourself, mm -hmm. people right. who are leaders in different fields, because kids don't see where the rubber hits the road. They don't know about all the careers out there. They don't know about people and what they've had to do to get to their success. Um, and, and to get those people in so the kids can really talk to them in a smaller setting. I mean, you fielded any question any kid wanted to ask. Mm -hmm. And those things help these kids, you know, kind of connect their imagination to what skills they have and what they're interested in doing to give themselves some kind of a compass to where to go. Otherwise, they're just like, what's the meaning for all this? Why do I have to do it? And, and right. people like yourself coming in and, and talking with the kids, it really gives them that. Um, you know, connect the dots to what this could lead to. And then once you put the fire under a kid, you can't stop them. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you, you've had so many, uh, you know, high accolades and, and, and achievements throughout your journey. If you had one, though, that stuck out above all others, what was your proudest moment so far in your teaching journey? Oh, oh gosh. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I guess I could obviously go back to 2007 when I was mm -hmm. the state teacher of the year. That was a huge honor to serve yes. as like a teacher ambassador for our state. Um, I guess when I got invited to go meet the president in the Oval mm -hmm. Office, I got to 
bring one human with me. And, you know, talk about security. You can't easily get into the White House. Right. <laughs> Even if you're a school teacher, you know, you have to provide all this background information in advance, in advance so they can yes. hear you. And so they wanted to know the name of the one person. And it was my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, of all the humans in the world, it would have meant the, it meant the most to him to go there. And uh, I invited him because he started me on my journey as really a reading English teacher. Because when I was a kid, um, I was kind of that weird middle child who didn't have a whole lot of friends. And my dad enrolled me in the Children's Book of the Month Club. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty confident our family really couldn't afford it at the time, but he did anyway. And those books that came every month, classics like Treasure Island and, and uh, Where the Red Fern Goes, that kind of stuff. I read those books. I read those books. And I still have a few. And I probably whipped out a few when you were in my class and said, here's a book. You know, I read mm-hmm. when I was your age. Um, him doing that and being able to proudly bring him to the White House, like a dream that he had, and for him to meet the president, all of that together was just like, wow, I, I guess we all look to please our parents somewhere in our life. Right. For right. me, that was, that was a big deal. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that was just a, uh, you know, a moment where you're kind of just at loss for words. It's it's a, uh, you know, a, a an iconic and just, uh, you know, such a, uh, you know, big moment for, for uh, you know, you know, to be recognized on a state level and then to to get, you know, invited to the White House is just a, a prestigious honor, uh, to say the least. Um, so we'll, we'll get back into things here. Uh, you know, touching on uh, like. You know, say there's a kid, uh, you know, we kind of t- briefly touched on it earlier. They may, uh, you know, they get that middle school attitude or they become, you know, uh, defiant or, you know, things of that nature. How is the, you know, how can a teacher or, or a mentor or coach work, work with those kids? How, what is your best advice to them? Yeah, well, first thing I want to say uh, is a funny Baba story because mm-hmm. I remember every kid that walked through my door um, yes. <laughs> got a handout the first day or two of school asking questions for, you know, like, like a kind of questionnaire about what you like to read and this and that. And I remember the top line, it said something, a a different name that you would like to be known for or as in class. And I said, be careful what you write on that line, because I'm going to call you that all year. And I, and I take those home the first day and I just pour over them for hours looking at all the different kids that I don't know. And yours said, I like to be called Baba. (laughs) <laughs> or go by Bubba, like you're 12, okay? Right. <laughs> and I distinctly remember taking this over, showing Mr. Hammond, saying, what do I do with this kid? <laughs> Is he playing me? Is this Right. <laughs> like I see in the, in the, you know, school resources, this is what his name is, and this is what he's saying. And if I go and call him this tomorrow, is it just going to be like, you know, I've, I've played, you know? And right. My husband said, you know what? he doesn't know you. You don't know him. If he had the guts to write that on the line, that's what you're going to call him. And I did. And then I, <laughs> I also remember your mom coming for some conference or something. And right. As soon as she sat down, she said, I'm Bubba's mom. And I just almost lost it. <laughs> you were so sincere. And that was something I always remembered about you. You didn't get like involved in the middle school drama. You were mm-hmm. positive. And, and a very sincere and like what you saw was what you got. And so right. I look back, I just think that's humorous because I was thinking maybe you were a defiant student, which is what brought right. me. And you weren't. Um, right. <laughs> I get those kids all the time. I ask for them. 
Uh, if you are defiant, I definitely want you in my class. Mm -hmm. I know the way to end defiance is through trust and having a relationship and knowing a person. And so the defiant kid is going to be the kid. You know what? Come have lunch with me in my classroom. Bring a couple of friends. You can pick some music tracks to put on. We'll play that. We'll just chat. And, you know, it's funny, but the defiance usually ends after that because they see you're real mm -hmm. and they see you care. And so the defiant kids, it's always about lack of trust. And it's always right. a power dynamic that you have to just kind of disarm them and help them understand I'm on your side and you don't have to, you know, have a defiance with me, you know, even if it's mm -hmm. that you do well elsewhere. So I find that, you know, you got to keep your, your friends closer and your perceived enemies, you know, really close. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. And um, we'll get off topic here just for a moment. Uh, you know, recently I was named an ambassador for Bodyguards Against Bullying. Ms. Hammond, what is your message uh, across this platform uh, to, for the fight against bullying? Yeah. And I first I want to congratulate you because I mm -hmm. see that in social media and I'm just like, that is exactly what Bubba would be involved in. Right. Thank you so much. Bullying is huge problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, now that I look back, I'm sure I was a, a, a victim of a lot of bullying growing up. Mm -hmm. but back then, you know, the teachers would be like, oh, just ignore them and they'll stop it. But, you know, I see it happening and I see um, a lot of hurt kids. So I think a lot of the solution is we have to treat the bullies because they're hurt. They're laughing mm -hmm. out. They're angry. They're exerting a power dynamic due to their feelings of I don't have control over my life or I'm coming from a situation where I am in a, a, a the bad end of a power dynamic. And so I'm, this is playing out. So I, whenever I see a bully, I'm always hearing their voice, even mm -hmm. though they're saying something mean it's, it's I'm hurt. Help me. Right. So I think that's the first thing is really, obviously they, you have to stop the bullying, but you got to help that bully because mm -hmm. if you can, if you can get that bully to understand they're hurt and, and try to get to the root of what it is, then you can create a person who will also be an advocate against bullying once they realize it. But it, it all takes really treating everybody involved in the situation. But yeah, middle school is just the pinnacle of bullying. It, it mm -hmm. really is bad. Absolutely. And uh, I appreciate your message on that. Um, you know, get, getting back into things here, uh, you know, what what would you say uh, was your toughest, toughest obstacle you've had to overcome since, you know, since you started your teaching journey to now? Like, what was one thing you just felt maybe, hey, I can't get past it, but eventually you were able to face adversity or face the problem and you uh, persevered? Uh, let's think about this here. Okay. I'm going to have to go with the big standardized testing that's going on because that has restricted teacher autonomy to a certain extent and student creativity because if you can't test it, it it's not considered valid so like kids that are creative that's not tested you know they're mm -hmm. not going to say here i'm going to give you some legos make something amazing and let's see what you do creativity and innovation is the highest form of human achievement and the standardized tests are asking the kids, you know, A, B, C, or D, or can you write this prescribed type of writing? And so standardized testing gets in the way because of the time stuff. It's from public education. And I get accountability. I mean, you got to be accountable. I have to be accountable. The kids have to be accountable. But there has to be a better way to hold kids and, and teachers and school systems and everybody accountable for what they're doing 
rather than a base test that's, you know, A, B, C, or D, or this prescribed type of writing. Mm -hmm. Because the people that are curing cancer, the people are going to find the end of the coronavirus. Those people are going to be innovative, creative problem solvers. And the answer to coronavirus is not A, B, C, or D on a test. It's a person who's able to take information and look at it in a different way and come up with a new idea to synthesize, uh, to collaborate, to innovate. None of that comes through on a standardized test. And I, I think I have a special, like, I don't want to say hatred, but like, it's, it's hard. I was never a good standardized test because I was the person with the creative solution. And, and so, you know, for me, I, I wish we could find accountability that doesn't take as much time and allows um, each student to be their own unique self and show their strength through what they're good at rather than this kind of base test that takes a lot of money, time, effort, all that. Right, absolutely. And um, I've I recently uh, seen, uh, you know, since, you know, we keep in, in contact and stuff that you had, uh, you know, raised a large sum of money for South Sudan uh, for water there. Yeah. Uh, can you touch on that and how that started? And, uh, you know, that, you know, obviously was such a uh, powerful impact. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Baba, that was a student did that. Wow. <laughs> We're reading a book mm-hmm. uh, in class called Long Walk to Water. Mm-hmm. It's written by a South Sudanese guy who came to America. His name's Salva Dut. And Salva was a refugee, his village was attacked, and he like ran, you know, left, left, ended up in America, long story, like he survived all this horrifying stuff in South Sudan. Uh, when he came to America, he learned a couple of years later that his father was dying of waterborne diseases mm-hmm. back in the village in Sudan. So he started raising money with his church to put a well in his father's village so his father wouldn't die. And uh, he started this foundation, Water for South Sudan, but we were reading this novel because I like to read, you know, different genres. The kids were studying Africa and social studies. I'm like, I'll read this novel with them. And a boy, like 30 pages in, when we're learning about this one character who has to walk all these miles for water, he, he stands up in class. I, still, I can't remember his last name. His first name was Colin. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is him. And we've got to do something to help these people. Right. <laughs> Because this girl's walking, you know, four hours a day to get water and the people are dying and we've got to do something. And so I said, I don't know, you know, Colin, what we can do about it, but I'll look into it. So I I did a little research and I found out they have an organization here in America that really like about them because they use South Sudanese to run the whole operation in South Sudan. They don't, it's not it's it's based in the U.S., but but all the operations are there, and it's all run by them. And they know and they can speak with the villagers. And the best part that when they put these wells in, they educate the entire village and community about how to maintain the well and the rules for the well. Because hydropolitics is a huge deal in Africa. People are literally killing each other to get to water. So one of the rules is if we put this well in, anyone who walks to this well gets water. If they're from a neighboring village, if they're from a, a, an enemy tribe, it doesn't matter. If they walk to this well, you will allow them water. We'll come back and take it, you know? And so it's right. like, it's a peacekeeping thing as well as, as, as giving people fundamental, like, rights. So the kids organize this, what we call water walk, where they simulate walking with the 40 pounds of water. And mm-hmm. I know you do some workouts, you know, it's 40 pounds. So yes. Like, <laughs> walking around outside on a, on a path that we set up with 40 pounds of water to kind of 
simulate what that's like. And um, we just, I, I could not believe how much money the kids bought in doing it because they were pledged, like, you know, I'm going to walk this many laps of the water. And people were just crazy about it. Just because, number one, I'm on a coronavirus pandemic. So are you. Mm-hmm. I bet you're sitting with a roof over your head and water and food in the fridge. And, you know, we're having this lovely conversation. Yes. You know, the people in South Sudan, their entire contents of their life is a backpack of what they can fit in a backpack. And so the kids realize, oh, you know, this is first world and this is what our first world problems are. And so they just came out of the woodwork. I mean, they were giving their birthday checks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a family that recently emigrated from Mexico and th- that kid was the number one um, kid who raised money. He said in his village, sometimes the water stops and th- his family knows what it means to go without water. So it was just amazing. And, and the more we spread awareness, just the more checks people in our community that didn't have any association with the middle school were just dropping off checks at the office. Wow. And so really proud that we were able to, um, built two wells for them so far and we're working on a third one um and then really interesting last summer i just happened to take a trip up to new york Mm -hmm. where their organization's located for another purpose and um i said well i'll just stop by your office i'd like to meet you guys and and see you know you besides like on the skype or whatever Mm -hmm. and he mr dutt was there that day and i just walked in and it was like meeting a rock star. I mean, this guy literally has built over 500 wells, saved probably, you know, close to a million people's lives. Wow. That. Each, of, each of these wells he builds is good for like 2000 people and they're designed to last for 50 years. So just meeting him was just very amazing. And like you, he's super humble. Yes. He doesn't take a lot of pride in what he does. And he just wanted to talk to me and find out what I did. And, and that was just, to me, that was awe-inspiring because I felt like I was sitting with a rock star, but yet he wanted to sit down and just talk to me. And I thought, wow, this is a person who's a true humanitarian. Absolutely. And um, what would you say, uh, you know, th- throughout your, your career uh, coaching in the Worcester County and, and Ocean City, Berlin area, what is your favorite thing about, about the community there? The community is unlike any other place that I've lived. And I've lived in different places around mm. the U.S. And um, just like it's a small community. It's a good community. Um, people here have big hearts. And um, just the, I'm always impressed by how hard the people in our community work, just how hard they work. Whatever job it is, the pride they take in it and how dedicated everyone is in our community to what they do and the pride that they take in it. And, you know, I just walk through the streets of Berlin or, you know, walk in Ocean City and you can just, you can breathe in the pride that's coming off the businesses that people here have and and the work that they do to make our place, you know, thinking about, I've been here since 93 mm-hmm. and the Eastern Shore here in the Berlin area and just the, the development and change and positive things that have come to our community in the last, you know, almost 30 years. It's just remarkable. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and I, I had been voting for you uh, with a contest you, you were, uh, you and your students were a part of. Can you touch on that and, and let us know, let everyone know how you guys yeah. made out? 
You know, it's funny because we're bringing the classroom pets back into mm-hmm. the classroom. Uh, you know, we always had classroom pets and then everybody had allergies and like, you know, not to put down the allergy kids because they're, they're included in my plan for having a classroom pet. But the classroom pet was such a wonderful part of growing up in the 70s. And then they all went away. And, you know, all these rules about, you know, you can't have them because of mm-hmm. allergies, this, that. Well, come to find out a lot of these kids aren't really affected. And there's ways that you can compensate for the fact that the kid has an allergy. So I wanted to bring back the classroom pet. So I, I brought in, I, I actually, um, it kind of inherited these two guinea pigs named Ginny Weasley and Minerva McGonagall. And uh, I, I decided to, to just start it up again, bring the classroom pet. They have been the best just everything a sense of safety it's a way to bond with kids they feel safe kids who feel traumatized kids who don't have pets at home having these two and honestly god they're rodents having them in the classroom has just made it such a positive wonderful place so there was this uh, contest for pets in the classroom and uh the kids were like let's make a video mrs hammond let's do this i'm like all right if you guys are willing to stay after school we'll do it we'll make a video and the kids did a phenomenal job from like storyboarding to like putting it all together. And then, you know, we made it to the, where we wanted to be in the top 10, which was fantastic. We're competing against much bigger school systems. You know, we're a small community and we were able to get the votes to be right there. So we're being judged right now because once you're in the top 10, that's like the equalizer. And then their, their panel is going to judge us out of that. So you'll see if we win or not, but we're going to find out on the 15th. Um, I'm hoping we do because those little rodents, you know, for how small they are, they have a big impact on, on what goes down in uh, my classroom. So I'm really grateful to be able to yeah, do Absolutely. That. And, um, you know, I, I wish you guys the best of luck with that. Um, you know, what can we expect to see when things get back to normal and, uh, you know, things get restored? What can we, uh, you know, expect to see? Uh, is there anything that, you, you know, new things you're looking to implement, anything uh, that we can continue to see from you? Uh, what, what can we expect to see from you here in the near future, Ms. Hammond? You know, it's funny that um, with this whole pandemic, how I've noticed just what, by looking at what the kids have been posting, the positives that are mm-hmm. coming from this. Um, I can see just until we get the pandemic under control, I can see school being, being a more hybrid type of thing. Kids have commented, I really like that I can plan the order of my classes each day. I like the mm-hmm. control aspect of it. I like that I can uh, work my own hours. You know, kids are like, oh, I don't have to do all my work, you know, all during this finite amount of time. I can do it at night. I'm watching the times that kids are working. I have kids working, you know, real early in the morning. I have kids are working late at night. Uh, I even have kids that are turning in assignments in the middle of the night, which I'm a little wondering about, but whatever. I think the flexibility that online school can provide, um, you know, until the pandemic is over, I can see schools adopting kind of a hybrid um, situation where once we're cleared to go places again, you know, if you need one-on-one help, your teacher's there. If you need to come in and spend a day at the school in the classroom in a small group, that can happen. But if you still want to be working from home and you're still meeting all the curricular objectives, I can see that happening too, at least in the upper middle school, you know, mm-hmm. high school right. level. Um, I can see school being something that becomes more flexible with regard to I don't have to actually be in a physical building. A- absolutely. And um w- you know, what, what would you say is your uh, positive influence and encouragement to, to kids who are just, uh, you know, dearly missing school right now? They, 
you know, school was kind of their, their only safe haven. School is a place where they had the mentorship, the teaching, the, 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 the skills and resources that they need that they just can't get from home. Like, what is your encouragement to, to kids uh, who are going through this time right now? So I've, like, gone to bed with a heavy head lots of nights thinking about how um, the pandemic has sort of magnified the divide between the haves and the have-nots. And I'm thinking a lot about the kids who are struggling who have unstable situations at home or lacking resources, their parents are working all the time if they can work or they're not, or they're worried. Um, and I, I guess the message I would say is, you know, there are resources in our community. I don't know if you've been following Worcester County Public Schools has been, I, I think over 9,000 wow. meals went out to kids in the time that our mm-hmm. schools have been closed. Um, so there are resources. That's what the school does. You know, we're teaching the whole child, reach out to us. I can connect you. Kids that don't have books, I can get you signed up online for a library card, and then you can access digital books. I'll mail a book to your home. (laughs) I've got a library here. Um, You probably remember I had a pretty extensive classroom library. You know, I have a lot of books at home. I was grabbing books as I left to make sure I have stuff. I can mail a book. We can hook you up with counseling. We can hook you up with, you know, whatever – we, there's so many resources in our community that teachers are, can help connect kids to. So, you know, I'd want to say for those kids who are struggling, you know, reach out to your teacher. We're available every day to take phone calls from kids. We're here to connect with whatever. If you're not sure where you, your family can get food, we can do that. Um, I, I also speak Spanish, so I'm able to help those families that struggle with getting information in their native language. So all of those things, I just, just the more connected we are, however that needs to be, the more we can help people find their resources. Absolutely. And um, what would you say, obviously you've, you've had so much, so much great advice, you know, from uh, whether it be a professor, other teachers, principals, whatever it may be uh, in any type of form, what would you say was the greatest advice you've ever received during your teaching profession? Never forget forget how it Mm -hmm. feels to be a kid. That's uh, that just, like before school even starts, I sit down at all the different desks and look around the room. Can I see? What what do I see? What's distracting at this seat? Move to the next desk. Same thing. So you just always have to know. And I don't know if I did this mm-hmm. when you were my student, but I do all the work, tests, homework, projects. I do all the work I assign wow. to my students. Um, I go home and do it too because I have to remember uh, what it feels like to be that student or these directions confusing? Is this too time consuming? Does this project take too many resources? How does this feel to have to do this um, project? And, and, and so I, I just never, you can never forget that because once you forget that you are now just, you're, you're kind of leveraging a, a power relationship that mm-hmm. doesn't need to be. So humble yourself, be your student of your own work that you assign and, and never forget what it feels like to be that kid because let me tell you, most of us would not want to go back and be a middle school right. student. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, as we get ready to conclude here, Ms. Hammond, if there was anything we didn't get to touch on, uh, whether it be any insight, any uh, encouragement, uh, I'll just kind of pass things over to you in this final moment, uh, you know, and, and uh, you can use uh, the platform as, as you would like. If there is uh, anything on your mind that, that you would like to push across, uh, you know, feel, feel free in this moment to, to do so. Well, and one thing that's been really kind of getting on my Mm -hmm. nerves the last few weeks is how under-resourced Worcester County is with regard to Mm -hmm. broadband internet. 
And I, I think we need to, for the good of humanity in, in, our, in our county, in our state, in our country, we need to make sure that people that are living in rural areas like ours get broadband because that's been, that's been the, the biggest headache for me in the last few weeks. And you know, broadband now represents education and families that are living in rural areas don't have it. And, and so that, that denies them access to learning and your wonderful podcast and all the things you know, that they could use to get ahead in life. Um, the digital divide is, is almost like it's this thing that, that is keeping people from, from realizing their full potential because now with online learning, yeah, you can do it if you have broadband. And I don't know if you've looked at the broadband maps for the county where we live and many other places across America, just nothing, you know? And so I think that's something that we need to think about. I know in Japan, I know we're talking about a much smaller country, but Japan, they have, you know, broadband, the whole entire country, everybody gets it because they recognize that's for the good of everybody that people can research and learn and educate and, and connect, that's gonna help the entire nation. America has the resources to do that, but we leave it up to monopolies like Verizon, not monopolies, but like mm. almost like monopoly, Verizon, AT&T are, are kind of holding out. And, and, you know, I recognize it's a business, but some things like interstate highways, that's government, and I think broadband needs to, to take the lead, and, and it needs to be just implemented everywhere, because that's that's a huge hurdle. Most people live in small towns. Most people don't live in a big city, and that's been like a huge barrier. This last week, reaching out to families and trying to get everybody back on with education. Um, I just that's my that's my platform that I'm standing on right now next to get my different. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I truly appreciate, um, you know, your time today, uh, all your words of encouragement, your, uh, your knowledgeable and, and, uh, you know, just powerful insight on, on everything, uh, from teaching to, to your life journey. And, uh, you know, uh, again, I'm, you know, just, it, it's an honor to have you on here and, uh, you know, I, I appreciate everything you're doing, uh, the impact that you're having, not just in, in your school, but all across Worcester County and throughout the state of Maryland and, and really all across the real, because, as as people uh you know develop and, and grow eventually as they get older they you know they branch out so your your impact is is really all across the world and uh you know it's uh, you know it's it's so uh so important what you're doing and uh what you will continue to do well baba i have to say on behalf of the iguana team it's Stephen Decatur middle we're super proud to have you as one of our former iguanas so um, we'll get you back in and get you talking to the kids Yes, that, w- that would be an honor. I would love love that. And please tell everyone uh, I said hello and uh, thank you again. All right. All right. All right. Good talking care. to you. Mm-hmm. Bye. You too. Bye bye.